Fantastic. So today we're sitting down with Lehman Ditchburn. He's the author of a book called Bet On You, which I've read, host of a podcast that he's launched called Become Your Own Superhero and a Courage Coach. Guys, sorry about I'm sore throat today. And Lehman, thank you for coming on the show and making time. Really appreciate it. Leticia, you're very welcome. Your intro is the coolest intro I've ever seen, by the way. So, which intro? <laughs> well, which intro? The intro you just played before this. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Appreciate that. And liking my narcissistic intro. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nah, it's cool. It's cool. It's, yeah. uh, it's, got, it's very upbeat. It's very uplifting. And it um, leveled me up another notch as well, which is great. Love so, that. well done. Let's wake up. Awesome. So, um, I was introduced to Laban through a mutual friend in Melbourne who met Laban. I think he was in Australia. Is that correct? Yeah, it was uh, June 2020, I think we met, yeah. How are you so good with dates, out of curiosity? Because he, his name's James, and, and I know yeah. James will watch this, a uh, very good friend of mine, and well, very good friend of ours, and he, uh, he pulled up in a, uh, in a McLaren 650 and at the South Melbourne Market, and he pulled up with his girlfriend, Stella. And, and I pulled in next to him, and I got out of the car, and he got out with uh, Stella, and I said... Excuse me, uh, what, do you, what did you have to sacrifice in your life to get yourself one of those, referring to mm-hmm. the car? And Stella said, um, lots of hard work. And, yeah. and James said, uh, lots of good luck. And I said, well, I believe that you create your own luck. And then we, we went up and had a two-hour coffee meeting right there and then that sort of sparked this friendship. So very grateful to have James in my life. He's a great man. Absolutely. Um, Laban, how did you, um, you've got a very unusual name. Where does it come from and what does it mean? And how do you pronounce it properly? <laughs> <laughs> so if you're, if you're a, bit, a religious person in any capacity, a few different religions, uh, Laban's an Old Testament Bible name, which is where mum plucked it out of the bowels of obscurity. But Laban means t- uh, yogurt in Arabic, Lubna. And, but it also means to show fight in the main language in the Philippines. So, and it's pronounced Laban, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. What star sign are you out of curiosity? Cancerian. Ah, June 27th is my birthday. So I'm on the cusp, I think, yeah. Yeah, cool. So I read your book, Bet On You, and I liked how in the parts where, I also listened to the audio book, sorry, I liked it in the parts where you were talking about your childhood. For I don't know how you've done it, but you didn't put on a child's accent, but you spoke like a child. It was cute. Did you notice that? Did you feel intentionally? <laughs> Oh, I love, and I appreciate you to listen. Appreciate listening to the book, Tisha. I uh, I like to use some of my talents, some of which are doing accents and voices, and yes. um, I wanted I wanted to bring the story to to life as best I could. So um, there was a few other accents in there as well. There's a bit of a John Lennon one there as well. So, uh, oh, I think I can't remember that one, but I would have heard it. Yeah. Well, if you were listening back in the book, you might uh, sound a bit like one of the Beatles, and we were just a band doing it very, very big. That's all. Um, in this book, he spoke about um, growing up in Australia, hanging around the wrong crowds, cocaine, parties, wrong people, um, sleeping with people, under the influence, sometimes regrets, meeting awesome people as well. Um, my question to you is, at what point in your life um, did the mindset shift occur for you that you're going to change everything and you were able to make the mindset shift? My, my mindset shift point was really just over six years ago, Letitia and I, it was after sort of bouncing along the floor of rock bottom and grinding to a halt. 
And to give people some context as well, the, my rock bottom, I wasn't in the gutter injecting intravenous heroin. Like it was on the surface of it. I had a job. I had friends. I had family that liked me. And I had, you know, on the surface of it, I had it all together. But deep down below, I was, I was struggling tremendously. I was a pr- prolific gambler and I would drink and use drugs to excess. And I, and I found myself one night betting on a horse race in Hong Kong and I wasn't there and I wasn't watching on the TV. I was just placing the bets so I could try and win to get the, the rush, you know. And I, and I looked down in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen and there was a number for the gambler's helpline. And, and I didn't even, bless you, I didn't even think about it. And I, and I just called the number and I spoke to this amazing woman whose name was Mary, who I talk about in the book. And she, whether she realizes it or not, was my guardian angel. And what, the knowledge she shared with me that night struck me to the core and scared me because of how quickly problem gamblers kill themselves, how quickly they lose everything. And, uh, and I got access to a gambler's psychologist for 18 months for free off the back of that. And it was during that time with the psychologist that I started really my journey of transformation. Do you advocate for psychology? Do you think talk therapy helps or was, there a, was it a different type of therapy? <clears throat> Look, I, yes. I mean... It, <laughs> To say I've got the answer for every single person on the planet would be a mistruth, right? But what it did is it gave me a place to share without judgment. And knowing you can share without judgment or vilification is a really powerful thing to experience, particularly if you've never experienced it before. And a lot of us have friends and family in our life that are well-intended, but they have zero clue about what is best for us. And whether it's a psychologist or a therapist or a a priest or someone that you can trust that's just going to listen and not judge you for what you've done, uh, that's where the magic starts to happen, I think. And someone with no agenda, that's a big one, I reckon. They're just listening to you. There's no agenda. Well, massive. And and anyone that, that tries to use that knowledge against you, A, is not anyone you want in your life. B, if they are a friend, they should no longer be a friend. And, and this ties in with a lot of my journey. I'm very good, Letitia, at, at setting very clear boundaries. And I will cut people out of my life that do not serve me well, including family members. Love that. Can you give us an example of a boundary? And oh, yeah. Boundaries? Give us an example. Uh, 100%. This is with my father, yeah, of all people. And, uh, and I talk about both my mum and my dad in the book. And, uh, and it's really important to, to highlight that they did the best they could with the tools they had available and they all endured their own challenges growing up in their own shitty environments as well but as as i've gotten older and i've and i've developed into this man that i am now my father for one reason or another doesn't want my help with a lot of the knowledge that i've acquired around health and well-being and all this other stuff and because he's chosen not to do that and that's not for me to judge. And I, you know, giving people unrequited help is not going to help ever at all. Uh, th- there's a lot of negativity in the relationship. And I just said to him, I, look, if you're going to be in my life in any capacity, it, it's got to be under these particular guidelines. Like it's, it is kind of like my way or the highway. And it's, it's, it's me being understanding of what's important to him. But every time I'd see him call or send a message, you'd be like, oh, God, what's going on? What's the negativity? Yes. And I'm just like, no more. You, you either you either contribute and help lift me up or you don't get to be in my life. I don't care who you are. I love that. Contribute and lift you up. For those that haven't read the book, what was your issue with your father growing up? 
Well, it's funny, you know, Dad, Dad and I never really had any issues growing up. Him and I were super close. And the relationship mm-hmm. with, my, with my mother and I was fractured. In fact, there would be a year or 18 months might go by between conversations with my mum, who lives back in New Zealand. And it's funny, as I've developed and improved myself and doing the best I can with the tools I've got available here, the relationship with my mum has improved exponentially and her and I are closest that we've ever been. And she tells me that she's proud of me. She tells me that we, we tell each other we love each other and, and she's she still got lots of work to do and I'm still a work in progress. But the fact that she's come back by setting that clear boundary, I'm hoping the same will happen with my father before something, you know, heaven forbid he, he was to pass away. You know, he's in his 70s now, so he's not, not a young man anymore. So it wasn't alcoholism. It wasn't anything like that with dad. No, look, I, like a lot of kids, I inherited the good and the bad from my mum and dad, right? And if, if some, some of us aren't lucky enough to have both or even uh, one of those parents, and I'm very grateful for all the amazing attributes I got from my father and, and uh, my mum, but I also picked up a lot of really dysfunctional behaviours about how to, how to be a masculine man, how to not be a weak man, how to set clear boundaries, how to how to elicit much healthier outcomes for me around diet and nutrition and all these other things that I had to de-learn and then relearn as part of my journey. So it's, there's no bad, it's just what it is, it's what it was, you know. What is your definition of mas- healthy masculinity today? So the relationship, I just got married about nine days ago. Congrats. Check out mine. For those listening, I've got this uh, emerald ring that was fashioned by the guy that designed the same stuff for Elvis Presley. Um, we got married in Las Vegas. And Anna is the woman that I knew I wanted to meet my whole life, but was beginning to think I wouldn't. And she's Russian. Very traditional family values where she comes from. And our, our, the way our relationship functions best is she empowers me with her feminine energy and allows me to step into my masculinity. And what, what that means is that there's no domineering, there's no, there's no like separate levels. We are equal, but her, the way that we function best, I'm the provider in the family, and she empowers me to, to provide with her energy. And, you know, we, haven't, we don't have any kids yet. We've had uh, 16 consecutive miscarriages, right? Wow. And uh, we're getting to the bottom cause of it. Which the root cause of it, which is great. But I want nothing more than for her to want to raise the kids, be at home, and for me to provide the financial resources and the security to, to enable her to do that, um, all the while empowering her with the, the opportunities to pursue whatever she wants to pursue. If she wants to go and, you know, she, she's also a speaker and a coach and she's got a podcast as well, right? So she's, she's going to eventually be making money off that because she's only just started. And that's fantastic. But, but my role for the meantime is just to be the provider, to lead in the relationship. And it's a wonderful, nearly four-year-long relationship that I couldn't really ask for any more Well, help guess on. what? That sounds like the ideal relationship for me and like 17 other girlfriends that I know. That's what we're all looking for. <laughs> <laughs> well done. We love that. <laughs> and um, what did your love life look like for the past 15, 20 years? Walk us through it for all the single people out there who really want to co-create and manifest that ideal relationship. Well, I did like a lot of people do, and I, and I use sex as, a, as one of my many escapism. You know, I'd get drunk and I'd go home with women that uh, I would wake up next to and not be proud of the fact that I'd 
you know, yeah. hooked up with them. And it's not a blight on the person at all. It was just a direct reflection of where I was at in my life. And I and had girlfriends, which I also write about in the book, um, protecting their, their, you know, anonymity, um, but putting the truth out there that, that were deeply insecure and they were the direct result of what I attracted in my life, right? Like people don't understand that you attract like who you are and where, where this ability to attract and meet. And if you meet Anna, she's stunning, right? You just saw her at the start of the podcast. She's Russian and Japanese. Right? She's the hottest girl I've ever wow. seen. And, and how I met her is even better. But, but what it was, I had to do a lot of work. I did a lot of reading. I actually started out with the game, um, you know, back in the day, that book about being a pickup artist and that kind of thing. And a lot of the, the techniques and the behaviors were out of alignment with me. I was like, oh, I don't like this whole nagging bullshit. Um, but there were certain parts of it that were really beneficial. And, and then I realized I started working on myself and getting myself in a position where I could attract the woman of my dreams. It wasn't about trying to manipulate or do anything. And then I wrote down the list of my ideal person, put it out into the universe, subconscious sent the antenna up. And then, hey, presto, 2018, September uh, 13th, I bump into the woman of my dreams and I go up to her and I say, excuse me, but you are stunning. And I wondered if you have a drink with me one time. Where did you meet her? On Queen Street in Melbourne. <laughs> During the middle of like 11 a.m. in the morning. Was she alone or with someone? She was by herself. She just, um, she worked up the road. She'd come down to go get a coffee and uh, she was just getting some fresh air and I just spied her from 40 yards away and I was struck by a bolt of lightning and picked up and levitated towards it. It was a real spiritual moment in my did life. She feel, did she feel an energetic pull towards you too? Yeah, you, if you ask ask her, and she has been asked this a few times by people, it was something in my eyes. Love it. it was I had super kind eyes, and there's a self confidence that also comes from looking after yourself. And I, for people to give people some context, I had lost sixty pounds of body fat and put on thirty pound of muscle, and I was down to about probably eleven or twelve percent body fat at that point, and I was in good shape. And the clothes that I was buying hung off me well, well done. And, and it was just like putting myself in the best position to succeed right doing it for myself yeah absolutely love that self-care a lot of people are going through depression anxiety stress breakup so they need to hear that i've got friends with fantastic hearts struggling right now and they're working on themselves they want a better dress so this advice is going to go like worldwide and people are going to really appreciate that well one thing i would say particularly for the ladies as well like, yeah. and, and I really hope the men are listening and paying attention to this as well. Like, my background, and you, if you read the book, I put it all out there as well. It's raw AF, right? I have lived a life, and there's stuff that didn't make it in that book. It'll probably go in the next book that was coming out later this year. Uh, I said to Anna, after reading Mark Manson's book, Models, which, which is Attracting Women Through Honesty in 2017, and I'd been practicing this with former girlfriends. I said, you can ask me anything you want as long as you're happy to hear the answer. Mm-hmm. So she knew that she could ask me about how many women I'd been with if she wanted to ask me that. Thank God she didn't. Um, and I would tell her the truth. So it created this really ultra strong bond of trust early on. So that, and, and, and in doing that, she went on to then share with me a year and a half into the relationship 
something that she'd never shared with with anyone else and allowed her to heal and for her to grow and that's she's sort of stepping into her greatness now so honesty and not being fearful of judgment if the person's going to judge you for what you've done in the past they're the wrong person for you 100 percent i've gone through that as a kid and um he's my best friend now but it was way too judgmental for a life partner horrible you mentioned a few minutes ago that when you're working on yourself you're attracting insecure girls insecure partners can you please elaborate on you attract what you may be or what you are i uh i gave up drinking in july and initially june 2016 and then got my drink spiked by some friends and right. kicked it off on august 26th in september 2016 i went blind to a speed dating event and i met a woman who then became my girlfriend for a year she was from zimbabwe and about four weeks into the relationship she was like no one i'd ever met in my life and again this is this is another chapter in the book but she she said, Laban, I need to have a conversation with you about something really important to me. And I was freaking out going, what, God, what is it, right? And she said, Laban, I'm a Christian and I'm saving myself for marriage. Nice. Now, I'm not religious in any capacity. I'm very spiritual, more so than I was three, four years ago. Yeah. But she said, I give you a, a week to think about it and make a decision about what you want to do. And I was like, hey, no, I, I forego that, right? I want to be with you. All the while thinking, I've seduced countless women before i'll seduce you too and i spent the next 12 months trying to sleep with her right now the issue with that is that i was creating all these micro contracts and dr robert glover who wrote an amazing book that every man and woman should read is called no more mr nice guy it's about setting boundaries i was creating all these little micro contracts and doing all these nice things for for this girl and she wasn't she wasn't across or aware of the conditions so when she wouldn't deliver on on the condition, I would get frustrated and agitated, and it drove me crazy. And I ended up insulting her religious and her cultural beliefs and destroyed this poor girl, right? It was a great learning curve for her as, as, it, as yeah. it was for me. But that, that is the importance of not being clear, and that was just where I was at. You ask you know, where I was at in my own life. I thought I was doing all the right things. I didn't drink or smoke or do drugs or gamble. You know, like I was running and, and then all of a sudden I think I've met, met this perfect person who turns out intimacy is really important to me and I don't want to wait for marriage because I had a fear of marriage, which is called gamophobia, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she was the wrong, totally wrong person for me. As, as 95% perfect she was, it was 5%, which was a deal breaker. You cannot compromise when it comes to setting the right boundaries for your ideal partner. Yeah, right. That's exactly how I feel. But I think I'm taking it a different way. I won't settle at all. Um, so the 5% boundaries, I don't know. Okay, but I just well, won't settle. Well, there's compromise and there's settling, right? And I think there's certain things that I do compromise in the relationship. Yeah. But they're not deal breakers for me, right? Compromise is fine, but I see a lot of people settling because they feel lonely. Why settle? Wait for that beautiful, passionate relationship. Do you believe in passion in marriage? My God. If you are not being intimate in a way that that's, fulfills your love language and your emotional and physical and spiritual needs, like, sort it out. Sort it out. Have you ever been with an emotionally unavailable person and they, they exist? It's like 30% of the population apparently. <laughs> yeah. I'd say every other person that I ever dated was emotionally unavailable in some way because I was too. Yeah, okay. And what's your definition of emotional unavailability? 
Well, look, what I rather than focusing on the negative component, what I would say is what makes the relationship between Anna and I so wonderful. And we still have our moments like anyone, but um, it's she basically says yes to every outlandish idea that I have. And it's not that it's like just a blind faith. She just encourages me. And if you're with someone who's going to poo-poo your goals and your dreams and, you know, like what I've been able to achieve in the last three years, you know, during lockdown especially as well. We're living in Mexico right now. I've just come back from three months traveling across the U.S. You know, we got out of the country when, when it was impossible to do so. We've achieved all this other stuff. And, and I have done that because she gave me the, the power to do it, right? I might be the world's best courage coach, but she's the most courageous person I know. So, Love that. That's awesome. All right, I've got a question for you. Um, at what point in your life were you inspired to write the book and why? And did the book come before the podcast or podcast afterwards? This is one of my favorite stories to share, actually. Okay. Ten episodes in, in May 2020, I started the podcast because I needed a way to get my message out. I just started my career as a speaker and a coach. And I got hold of Les Brown. And for those who haven't heard of Les Brown, he's regarded as the best living or dead motivational speaker on the planet. He's like 77 now. He lives in Atlanta. And he, <laughs> and I rang him up. I got his phone number and I called him up. And, he, and I convinced him to come on the podcast. And he didn't ask how many followers I had. I had 10 subscribers at that point. And he came on and I said to him, hey, Les, what do you think of the name of the podcast? Become Your Own Superhero. And for those who don't know Les, I'd encourage you to get on YouTube and just get 10 minutes of Les Brown in your life, right? You'll thank me later. And he just absolutely encompassed exactly what I hope people would think when they heard the name Become Your Own Superhero, right? And I was so endeared to this man and the way that he responded that I verbally diarrheaed my story of transformation to him. He listened with the patience of a saint, let me finish, and then just said, congratulations, Laban. I said, thanks, Les. He goes, do you have a book? I went, no. Now, I didn't finish high school or go to college, so I got no qualifications at all, right? Never written anything. I'd done stand-up comedy a couple of times for the Raw Comedy Fest, so I'd written some jokes for that, but nothing else. And he said, uh, you, need a, you need a book for credibility if you're going to be a speaker. And I said, right. He goes, who was the most influential person in your life when you were five? And I was like, what kind of question is that? And I thought about it for a minute. And this is a time when I hadn't, didn't quite have the relationship that I had with my mum now. And I was like, oh, man, despite her many flaws, it would be my darling mother. And he goes, what attributes did you get from your mother? And I go, oh, man, she was actually really tenacious and spiritual and unconditionally loving. And he's writing all this stuff down on the T-shirt. And he looks up at me and he goes, Laban, this is a God moment. I'm going to show you how to monetize your passion. And for the next 10 minutes, he reads back to me this blueprint for this book he wants me to write called Bet On You. He said, Laban, you're going to write the book. You're going to turn the book into a keynote. You're going to turn the keynote into a three-day retreat. And even if you muck this up, you're going to make 200000 in the next 12 months. And I'm flabbergasted at this point, right? This is my hero. And then he says, Letitia, he goes, and I'm going to write the foreword for your book. Wow. And in a moment of total insanity, this is in mid-May 2020, I said, Les... If you're going to write the foreword to my book, I'll have it to you by June 30, 2020. And in six weeks, I punched out 30,000 words of the first draft, a bet on you, delivered it to his inbox at 8.30 p.m. on June 30, transformed my life in the process. That's an amazing story. Um, I'm going to go back to the start. How did you get his phone number? 
So I, my background was 13 years in technology recruitment before I got into doing what I'm doing now, right? And when I started my own business in 2019, which was a total unmitigated disaster, I, uh, I utilized some of the technology that existed. And one of the programs that you can all download and put, a, put over uh, an overlay on LinkedIn is lusha.co, L-U-S-H-A.co. And it reveals emails and phone numbers of uh, sometimes people's information on LinkedIn. I don't know where it's at from an ethical or a, a, a political point of view right now, but it exists and it works. <laughs> and it's been the catalyst for many amazing conversations. Okay. And um, why, did he, why did he believe that writing a book and getting vulnerable would be important? And I missed out on the two other little things you said. You said you're going to write a book. There was something about a retreat. What was the third you're gonna, one? You're going to turn it into a keynote speech and you're going to turn that into a three-day retreat. And even he was giving me a structure to, in which to follow, which has been utilized time and time again about how to monetize the your passion. Because as, in the speaker community, it's really important that you don't work for free because you can't help anyone when you've got no money, right, if you're worried about mm-hmm. paying the bills. Yeah. So he was giving me some, some hardcore data around how to make this work. And... What's happened since Les and I have become really good friends. We had dinner at his home in Atlanta just a few weeks ago, Anna and I. I've been able to help him out with some of his health challenges through my network of people. And, and I've, I've been introduced to this whole other world of what's possible now. My life literally is a daily miracle, Letitia. It's a daily miracle. Okay. Um, how does one become a keynote speaker and why would one become a keynote speaker? Well, obviously, if, you, if you're a coach or you're on a tennis on lives, can you tell some people what is the goal of a keynote speaker? A little bit. The reason why you want to be a speaker is to create impact. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it for any other reason, if you're doing it for monetary, you're doing it for fame or whatever, it's misguided, in my opinion. I wrote the book because I wish that I'd had access to a book like that 10 years before I bounced along the floor of rock bottom. The reason I want to speak is because for me, I know that my reason for being on the planet is to become known as the world's most positively influential speaker. All right. I, I finally, at 40 years of age, figured out my reason for being on the planet. Right. And I'm very, very blessed. And that's what I do with some of my coaching. I help people figure out what it is their reason for being on the planet. And when you do that and you follow your calling, for me, it's communicating. I've always been an outgoing guy, Cancerian, as you, as you mentioned. Like I've always used my voice to to communicate, to get my message across, to to entertain. A lot of it was self-deprecating, a lot of it was validation seeking, but now that that's shifted around, I'm able to really impact people's lives through the power of storytelling. And if you understand and become consciously incompetent about how to utilize storytelling in a way that makes it memorable, because people don't remember what you say, what you do, they remember how you make them feel. And that's why I wanted to become a speaker. And the first step is making the decision. Because when the why becomes clear, the how becomes easy. Mm-hmm. Did you um, have to study any kind of coaching programs or it was your natural style that you just got out there? So I mentioned before I haven't got any qualifications and I don't, nothing formal. I have read more than 500 books in the last four and a half years. Oh. I have consumed thousands of hours of podcasts and interviews and data about all manner of all different things and a lot of it is being around people that are doing what I want to do 
So a lot of the people I stayed with when we were in the States were Hall of Fame professional speakers. We've got a mastermind group with 12 people in it that just started with three of them are Hall of Fame speakers. There's only 220 that have ever lived. And we've got three of them. Les Brown's in there, Waldo Waldman, Jim um, Cathcart. Absolutely. All right, I asked that question because I want to do coaching. And um, obviously, I know a few coaches. Um, some have done courses, some haven't. And it doesn't really make a difference, obviously. Um, just depends on how much you put yourself out there, what you're doing. Well, here's the thing about coaching, right? It, yeah. someone, I interviewed a guy, Daniel Hanna, on my podcast recently. He's known as Carl Jung 2.0. He was trained under David Hawkins. He lives in Sedona in Arizona. We spent, spent some time with him at his home. He's an amazing, amazing guy. And he said the example of this is Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can, right? That movie with uh, Leonardo yes. DiCaprio. And, and whether that story is true or not, the message in it is still the same. When he was captured or interviewed years later, he taught a whole semester of school. And, and when he was 17, like, how did you get away with that? He said, I was just one lesson ahead of the class. There was a lesson book there, and he just was one lesson ahead of the class. And I think as a coach, that's all you need to be. It's all you need to be. And the way that I coach is that you'll never have a finger waggle. This is what you should do. It's always using my own storytelling. And I go back to that as well. That really helps learning how to tell a story well. Uh, and and using those powerful anecdotes as, as a way to help people see possibility, depending on what your coaching is. Um, I already do that with my sibling. I'm always sharing my own experiences and saying, this is what I've done. That's how I resulted. This is what I recommend you do. And just giving her stories and she learns that way, which is really good. Does she want help? Does she want your advice? Um, well, there you go. Actually, she does. Sometimes I was a little bit, to begin with, I was a little bit too forceful and assertive. So I learned to not be so assertive, to put a smile on my face while I'm speaking um, because nobody wants to be bullied and forced. So it works. But another lesson that I've learned just recently is you can't, as you said, you can't help people who don't want help or don't recognize that they need to grow. So no more doing that. Well, that the other... You're exactly right. And I think the other thing that's really important that most people miss is that don't share advice or ideas on something that you don't have any experience with, right? And, and luckily, my background through, out of necessity and over, you know, when you, when you overcome drink and drugs and gambling and philandering and autoimmune disease and start running ultramarathons and doing find your woman of your dreams, you have some credibility in the bank because you can talk about those things with, with credibility and confidence. But the moment someone's asked me about string theory, I'm like, you got to go talk to old mate over there. Because that's not my, that's not, here's what I would do to go and learn about it, but it's not my area of expertise. So if someone comes to you for coaching these days, how does the process look? Is that something you want help with? That's really, uh, that's, oh, that, that's, no, that's the language that I would use. Like I've had a, I had a gentleman come up to me at an event in Arizona in uh, January this year, which is the reason we're in the States. He came up to me at the first break, never knew me from Adam. And because when we left Australia, we were only planning on being away for a couple of months, we didn't take all our clothes. So I've only got one pink jacket on me, is this one. Wow, and okay. he came up to me and he said, you must coach me. And that was a five-figure coaching program. And I found out later on, he said, the reason you came, I came up to you was because any man that can pull off a pink jacket like that is someone I want coaching me, right? True story. Right. And, uh, and it's all about being able to just be an, an active listener. They say the power is in the listener, all right? As a, the best thing you can do as a coach or even as a human being, if you want to become more charismatic, learn how to listen 
and turn off your 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 Garmin or your your Apple Watch or the things that are going to distract you or if someone's talking to me and they're looking at their phone or whatever, <laughs> they're done to me, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be present with that person. And with coaching, the reason they pay so much money is the commitment that they make to themselves when they invest in themselves. And so it's all paid up front. There's no drip feed stuff for the way I coach so that they they go, right, I'm invested in this now and I want to get the most out of this that I can. That's That, for me, has created a wonderful coaching practice and a really effective one with really happy clients. Love that. Did you ever have any um, difficult situations when you first started coaching with clients? Was there anything that you had to learn as a coach that you could share with others who want to be a coach? Yeah, not charging enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> not charging okay. enough. So my, um, like a lot of people, I, the thing about coaching, if you really... Uh, have done the work and you back your own ability, how much we charge as coaches is intrinsically related to our self-worth. Just let that sink in. Our coaching fees are are directly linked to our Mm self-worth. So if you're charging 150 bucks an hour, do you really back your ability as a coach? And what will happen is you'll attract people that see the value in that, all right? Mm -hmm. And one of the guys that I got inspired by was a guy, Steve Hardison, who uh, lives in Arizona. He's known as the ultimate coach. He's 200,000 US for 50 hours of his time. You have to do it at his house. Like 200,000 per hour? No, 200,000 for 50 hours, right? Okay. And, and it's, it's not even the most I've ever heard, yeah, but it's okay. a good chunk of change. And he, like, he's worked with people like Ayana Van Zandt, who's Oprah Winfrey's coach, lots of CEOs of big corporate, corporations billion dollar organizations and and this guy could charge more but that's the that's the commitment it's paid up front if you miss if you're late for two appointments you you lose the coaching and it gets donated to a charity of yours or his choice like there's there's a certain energy and psychology behind charging that kind of money for the level of commitment and some people are going that's that's a rip-off merchant or whatever They're, they're not they're not your people they're not your people all right and uh, it's all relative. It's all re- if I share something with you, Letitia, that shaves 20 years off your learning curve, what possible dollar amount can you put on that? Priceless, right? No, it is. have the money, but I guess if they don't genuinely have the money, they can find another coach. That's well, the, the thing is, there's so many resources. I was destitute broke for three years, for 2018 up until really about six months ago. Like my business, my recruitment business didn't do any revenue at all. I, the pandemic killed me, right? We were in Melbourne, we were in lockdown the whole time. I know a lot of people from Melbourne probably listening. Yeah. You know, like I, I wasn't eligible for any of the payouts. And we had a big a lease on the house and I had car payments and all kinds. Of, I suffered financially immeasurably. And there was so much free resource available, books and other stuff that I could access that that that's irrelevant that you can't afford it you can't afford it because you don't want it bad enough mm-hmm. and i've had uh, clients that have sold farm equipment and all kinds of stuff because they want to be coached and i'm not telling them to do it they see the value in what i'm doing and then when you get a text message from the guy who came up to me in the pink jacket saying laban you saved my marriage mm-hmm. after two sessions that okay. <laughs> you know, like well, how much is a divorce going to cost you right yeah Absolutely. 
Um, I wanted to always ask you, since um, I was introduced to you and I spoke to you on the phone the first time, I've noticed that you and James have one thing in common. You're both very positive. You're very mindful with the words that come out of your mouth. James always reminds me to be um, very mindful of the way I speak. If I say there's no parking available, he tells me, well, darling, visualize parking coming available. It's always a kick up the ass, and I remember. So can you tell me, do you believe in the law of attraction or co-creation? Oh, yeah, I do, 100%. And, and you will never intentionally ever hear me say anything poorly about myself. And if you get on YouTube and watch the stand-up comedy I did at the Royal Comedy Fest a couple of years ago, 2015-16, it was all self-deprecating humour, like a lot of comedy is, right? Because we, we seek, seek validation, we seek approval, and by belittling ourselves, we get other people who think poorly of themselves to laugh at it, you know? Now, when I understand how powerful the energy that comes from our words, I just won't say it. It's not that I'm delusional. It's just that the way that I choose to conduct the language of the way I speak about myself, it's allowed me to become hypersensitive to how other people talk about themselves. And I just don't have the time or the bandwidth to hang around people that don't believe things are possible. Don't tell me something's impossible. When you, how do you know? Like you just, you don't have the answer for that, right? So until you can disprove it or prove it, like, just get on with life. Mm-hmm. And what about internal self-talk, subconscious belief systems that are very hard to change, can be difficult to change? Um, have you had any difficult subconscious self-belief systems that you've had to work on? Yeah, they always crop up. And, I mean, as you sort of progress in your, you know, as you the ascension into achieving enlightenment or whatever, you know, whatever your goals are, there's new things that crop up. Uh, confidence or courage when you go around calling yourself the world's best courage coach you have to exemplify how would the world's best courage coach choose to conduct himself so for me doing courageous things now is part of my dna it's i have to when you call yourself that but there's still areas like with uh, food emotional eating especially you know not being the shape and the weight that i that i know that i can be and that i have been in the past as well um, and it's not that I'm a big fatty or anything, but it, like it's it's out of alignment for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I continue to do the work and I continue to try new things. And I'm getting uh, this shamanistic uh, regressional hypnotherapy in a couple of weeks, um, which is going to take me back through some previous lives. And there's probably some people listening to this shaking their head going, this guy's off his head. Well, believe what you want to believe, right? Um, I just want to experiment with it to see what happens. And if it helps me clear away a lot of that past life emotional attachment to food, maybe in a previous life where there was famine, um, and I can clear that away through the help of the shaman, who's a friend of mine, uh, wouldn't that be fantastic, right? Like, who who cares how it happens? Yeah, I've got a session on the 29th of May with something similar. Um, I've got a a question in the same... Um, area of law of attraction um the question is this so when intrusive thoughts pop up do you just ignore them what do you do give me a definition of an intrusive thought you have a negative thought about someone you might your imagination might play scenarios in your head you know oh that person you know for example that person um i don't think she likes me for example then you're like no i don't think that yeah, yeah, okay. So I hear what you're saying. So there's there's always a fine balance, right? Like I rely heavily on in my intuition and my intuition is, has proven time and time again that it's been pretty bang on. Nice. How, when it comes to thinking a thought of what someone's saying about me, 
more than likely my guess is that we are creating that in our own head because when people when people lash out and attack you and that's happened a lot particularly in the lockdowns in melbourne if you know we we're choosing not to wear masks or whatever i had a few people lash out to me they are telegraphing their own insecurities onto me that's what it is it's nothing to do with you and what people think of you is none of your business right if someone doesn't like you what do you what do you what do you want to do about it right like that and that for me has become a really amazing thing if you're not polarizing enough people then you're not being true enough to yourself you cannot get everyone to like you it's impossible trust me i tried that was the valuable. So be you, do you, be your best self and don't worry about the energy around you if you're at an event or whatever and someone doesn't really like you or giving you weird vibes. Just ignore people, it. People are going to – I've had not many, thankfully, but I'm sure as my profile rises, comments on, on YouTube interviews, comments on, on social media from time to time just tearing into me. Not very often. I'm pretty good. But, but like, I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And how it used to impact me before I understood that it was coming from them, not me, really negatively affected me. But when you start to understand, and this comes as a result of doing the work and reading and learning and speaking to people that are further along than you, uh, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way about me. You know, how can I help? <laughs> and they just like, ah! Yeah. Um, are you coming back to Australia anytime soon? Look, I don't know. I don't honestly don't know. I, I think in the in the current state uh, that I perceive Australia to be in, there's very little likelihood of me coming back. What and do you perceive Australia to be in at the moment? Too policed, or so we left. I left. Anna left in September. I left in October 2021. The Melbourne that I've grown up in, spent half my life, and I moved over when I was 20. Has the, the energy has shifted? Very, it's very dark energy. There's a lot of fear, and this isn't a this isn't a blight on the people there. People are doing the best they can, but the 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 place has become very polarized. There's a lot of really dark energy in that place, and it wasn't until we left and I arrived. I actually got out via Germany. Mm-hmm. I arrived in Frankfurt, and I was like, "Oh my God, Father, what a relief that is!" and Look, that's just my thing. I've heard that before, that viewpoint. It was, look, Melbourne has been a magnificent place to live for a very long time. Lots of opportunity and great, you know, everything about the place is pretty great. But it's just, it's time for me to be over the side of the planet. And I think it's when more people wake up and the people that are awake will know what I mean by this. And the ones that aren't, hopefully you'll get there soon enough because I never used to be. And when I woke up, my life started getting better. Or, All right, and realizing what's the first that step for anybody who isn't woken up, but you're, we're trying to hit them towards waking up. What's the first step? I think Where you've got to. I think I, I think you've got to be in enough pain to want to do something about your own situation. For me, I was I was in a huge. I'm not talking about physical pain necessarily. I'm talking about emotional and spiritual pain. If you are using drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, you know, computer games to excess and you know that like is your reason for being on the planet to play zelda or to play like is that what it is is that the reason why you're here like we all have michael jordan level genius it's something and when you can understand how rewarding your life can be when you are living in alignment to your purpose right whatever that might be a you never work another day in your life 
B, you get paid F you money to do it, right? Because you do it way harder and way better than you would if you were doing something that you don't didn't enjoy. I did 13 years of recruitment and I did okay at it, but I effing hated it in hindsight because it was out of alignment. It wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. If you are supposed to be the world's best recruitment consultant and that's your purpose, go into it. If you're supposed to be the world's best garbage man or garbage woman, like that's your thing, right? It's not mine. Mine is this. Mine's the world's best courage coach. For anybody, and I know this might be a little bit of a complex question, a little bit, depends. Um, for anybody looking for their why, what they're supposed to be doing, their passion, what advice do you have? There's three questions that you can ask yourself, and don't feel bad if you can't figure this out straight away when you're asking yourself this, right? And, and in New Zealand and Australia especially, I was born in New Zealand, so I know this firsthand, there's tall poppy syndrome that exists. You know what I'm talking about. For those who don't know, it's basically chopping down anyone at the knees that gets too big with, with achievement, right? That is all bullshit. We need people to step into their greatness, but there's three questions you can ask yourself. What am I world-class at that other people find really challenging? What, are, what am I world-class at that other people find really challenging? What do people ask me for advice on? Mm-hmm. What do people ask me for advice on? And then the third thing, which I think is the most important, is what do I do that when I do it, I walk away and I, and I levitate with how good I feel? Cool. For me, it's always coaching, public speaking, and connecting. I'm very comfortable with speaking, getting up, and I love helping people and listening and giving advice. Freaking love it. So, and you're, you're well on your way, and maybe there's just some final tweaking, right? There's some Definitely. final, maybe some final tweaking because it was only September last year where I came super dialed in. And the moment I did that, it's where the world's best courage coach came from. That to me was the moment where things supernovaed. And the way that. Uh, what, pe- yeah. Sorry, Laban. What were you saying? No, no, it's all right. I was going to say that's where people that are the most successful, like I've le- legitimately spoken to two billionaires on the phone in the last month mm-hmm. um, and been connected to other people that are worth. Uh, hundreds of millions of, not and not idiot wealth people that are really heart-centered as well and the i'm attracting these kind of people because they respond to this declaration of being the world's best courage coach right mm-hmm. they see that i'm super passionate about what i love to do and they want to feed off that energy they want to yeah. do that a lot so that that is why i think it's so important that we all step into our genius zone you get paid for it as well maybe not straight away but it will happen Right, and then you yeah. never work another day in your life. Mm-hmm. As a courage coach, um, I know this is a broad question. What are a few different challenges that you've helped clients with? I'm curious. So this is such a good question because I, I ask people this, this question, right? If you could wave a wand, a magic wand, or pray a prayer if you're a person of faith and, and the prayer would guaranteed be answered or the wish would guaranteed be answered, uh, what would your life look like? And the, the, the majority response from people that I work with or even talk to about this, they are playing so small, you know, that I'd like to have a million dollars in the bank and, you know, to, to be with someone that kind of likes me from a relationship point of view. It's like, I just gave you the opportunity to create the dream life, right? There was no, even gravity doesn't exist. So I, I, a lot of the work I do is about giving people possibility and allowing them to see what kind of impact they can have on the world by stepping into their greatness. 
why shouldn't the book that you write be have the foreword written by the number one motivational speaker on the planet and the guy that wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus and, and Chicken Soup for the Soul and Pink's Drummer and The All Black Coach? Why shouldn't your book have those endorsements? Yeah. What, what, why are these other people that are, that are out there crushing it doing better than you? Because they believe that they can do it, right? Mm. They can believe, get out of your own way, get out and ego to the, the, don't be afraid to fail, get your ego to the door and have some fun with it. I get mm-hmm. plenty of people I've cold called and rejected me. How'd you get this number? Not many, but the ones that do resonate with it are like, who are the, what's the balls on this guy? I want to talk to, I want to get to know this guy more. And not just that, you're calling them because you resonate with them, you connect with them, not for any other reason. So one, yeah, and one clear distinction as well. The, the, the way that I go into these phone calls or any interaction that I ever have is what value can I add this person's life? What value can I add this person's life? Too many people want to take, 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 take. Just think about it for a second. What, hey, how can I improve this person's life? And if you really start to tap into your own greatness, there'll be a load of anecdotal stories that you can use that will help even the most successful people. And I'll give you a great example, Tisha. I had Jack Canfield on the podcast in 2020, right? 2021, in fact. World's number one success coach. He was introduced to me through someone else. They didn't get a chance to, to speak to him before we had the podcast together. It was done via Zoom. He comes on. He's very cold, very distant. I know he's done a few hundred interviews in that year, so he's probably Zoom fatigued, right? And I thought, oh, how am I going to get around this? I said, hey, Jack, I've got a commitment for you. He goes, what's that, Laban? I said, Jack, you're going to leave this podcast with more energy than when you started, right? So there's the first declaration. His whole body language shifted to and he just put his shoulders back and he was like, okay, I'm ready to go now. First question I asked him was, Jack, Anna and I have experienced the loss of, uh, at that time, 13 consecutive miscarriages. What advice would you give us to help bring this baby into the world, right? He just, he'd never been asked that question before and I found that afterwards. I mean, who's going to ask that, right? But he just answered it so beautifully. And then the second question I asked him was, Jack, what do you need help with? Very arrogantly, he goes, I don't need any help, Laban. My life's very blessed. Then he goes, oh, look, actually, I've been trying to lose 15 pounds of belly fat for the last year. And I said, today's your lucky day, Jack. He goes, why is it my lucky day? I said, because what I didn't tell you about my magnificent transformation was that I lost 60 pounds of body fat, put on 30 pounds of muscle. And if that's something you want to discuss at the end of the show, you just let me know. I had the number one success coach in the world asking me for 15 minutes about how I lost all this weight through the carnivore diet, incidentally. And, and at that moment, I realized something, Letitia, I could play at the top end of town with these people that need as much help as the rest of us. A friend of mine who does coaching, she's got three billionaires that she coaches. She's $100,000 for six months coaching. And I said, what, what challenges do billionaires have? She said, the same as everyone else. It's just magnified with all the money involved. Mm-hmm. Isn't that powerful? Absolutely. Even coaches need coaches. Oh, all- absolutely. I, you know, Les Brown says, ask for help, not so, that you can, not so that you appear weak, but so that you can remain strong and keep asking for help until you get it. I ask for so much help. And because I'm able to receive it, because we, we must be able to receive it so that people can give it, it allows me to give a lot more help than what I'd be able to as well. How does one stay open to receiving? Practice. It's a spiritual question. Practice, practice, practice. Just like when someone offers you help that you need, just take it. 
Yeah, thanks. You, hey, come and stay at our house. That would be really amazing. And, and what will happen is people that offer that stuff and they don't mean it, they'll stop offering it, right? So, so that's on them. It's all about boundary setting once again, right? For two of the three months we were in the States, we stayed mainly at former podcast guests' home. Some of the most extraordinary people on the planet, you know, and it was just magical because I just was. We needed it. We we needed the help. We needed help from people to succeed in what we were trying to achieve when we were traveling. So there was no shame hiding at what wonderful state state you were in. Why? What's the point? What's the point of just being too polite? Because you you deny someone's ability to give and serve when you say no. And I, I'm, I'm not talking about going around asking for handouts all the time. I'm not yeah. talking about that. It's no good for anyone. Yeah. But, you know, if you're, doing, if you're doing the right things and your intent is to serve, and people want to help out, let them help be, out. Be honest, be vulnerable, and then be re- open to receiving. What's the point of having a facade, acting like everything's okay because you're not asking for help and you're not receiving? I get that. I never talk about my um, actual problems to people or whatever situations, but I think that we can all learn about this and ask for some help. Even if it's just like, hey, can you come on the podcast show? You know, I've just started up and I'd love to have you on. It'll help me out, which was what I said to you. And, and the thing is that you just, it wasn't just that you were a friend of James's. It was just like you, you asked me straight out and, yeah. and it was going to help you. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not about me doing it out of pity or anything. I'm really grateful that you, you mm-hmm. thought to ask me to be on the show, you know, like anything mm-hmm. that I can do to help get another important, inspiring message out into the world, it's the least I can do, you know. Yeah. I've had so many opportunities given to me and, and I've been able to give even more now because of the way that that works. Um, how did you go to America? Was it a travel visa? How did you? How did that happen? Uh, the visa was just the electronic visa. Uh, incidentally, I've been travelling on my New Zealand visa uh, to, to come to the States. That's a story in itself because uh, I had to send my Australian one back when I was in Germany to get a Russian visa, but they, ca- they shut the borders and my visa still, my, my passport's still in Australia at my brother's house. The New Zealand government, in all its bright glory, thanks Jacinta, cancelled the electronic visa and when I arrived in Chicago in January of this year they told me that the electronic visa that I'd organised was cancelled thanks thanks New Zealand and they did that without telling anyone because of the international travel ban so to travel internationally up until recently has been very challenging very very challenging and and this is why for people that have just stayed in Melbourne and have kept their jobs and can work remotely and haven't suffered financially or suffered with uh, other restrictions, just know that you are living in a tyrannical state right now, whether you realise it or not. Well, that's what I'm asking. I'd like to come to America. How does one move? You just get on a plane and get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, We based ourselves in Mexico because you can get a six-month tourist visa here. Pretty cool. And and then you can do three months at a time in the States. And if you've got... If you've got some financial resources, you can buy a business in the United States and get a, it's like a, it's not an HB1 visa, but that is one of the visas you can do. Um, We still don't know what our movements are going to be. We don't know whether we want to base ourselves permanently in Mexico and get a, you know, temporary resident and then get a permanent residency here. You can do that in Mexico? You can do it. Everything's possible. Basically, here's my advice. If If you took nothing else from this interview today. Whatever the mainstream tells you to do, do the opposite. 
literally do the opposite. There's an international travel ban. You can get out of the country, right? Mm -hmm. My publisher wrote a letter um, demanding that I be available to go to the Frankfurt International Book Fair, uh, which is how I got mine. They rejected my first two applications. Uh, Anna's application to, to go to Russia was rejected the first time. And if I was to share with you the reasons why she was traveling to Russia and the reason why the Australian government rejected, rejected her, you would be furious. Furious. Can you share it or is it too private? Well, no, I can share it if you like. Uh, for people listening, brace yourself. Okay. So you, I mentioned the, the consecutive miscarriages, right? Oh. So that secret that Anna revealed to me was that when she was 15 till the age of 21, her stepfather growing up in Russia was sexually abusing her, mm -hmm. resulting in two pregnancies which became forced abortions secretly. One of them damaged the uterine wall and is the, usually is the direct link for why these other miscarriages have been happening. And she came clean and was able to tell her mother in September last year, and her mother went batshit crazy called the police, got the police involved. And so the, this Russian police basically subpoenaed Anna to get back to Russia to testify against the perpetrator. And the Australian government, let this go on record, rejected her first application to leave the country, knowing all the parameters. If that doesn't make you angry or frustrated, I don't know what will. That's so, crazy. Right? So, and, she, and the reason I share that with you is that Anna's got an amazing podcast called The World's Best Trauma Recovery Podcast. And she shares, yeah, she she uh, shares the story and interviews lots of other amazing men and women who've got these stories to share that okay. will empower, inspire, and motivate people. So she's very public with it, and she's she's not a victim. She's reclaimed all her power. She's forgiven the perpetrator. She's forgiven her mother. Like it's it's so inspiring. Last week I was sitting down with Dr. Tasha. She's also into spirituality, shamanism, all that. I've got a session with her. She does ancestral healing. When you first spoke about Anna, I knew it was something like that because she does womb healing. So, um, wow. has your missus done womb healing yet with someone like Dr. Tash? I, I, don't, I don't think anything specific around that, but that would be amazing to be connected to her and to share she, this. So. Yes, and she specializes in fertility treatment. And she was raped by her father from the ages of three to seven. And then she had to go through the journey of self-discovery. And now she speaks in 10 different tongues when she's doing a healing. So wow. I will definitely link you because that's going to help with the fertility and I can't wait. Mm. Thank you so much. Tisha, no, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I love speaking to you. I could speak all day. Um, I'm really interested <laughs> about potential. My mum's in the Texas and... Um, in Texas? Some, yeah, Texas. Um, unfortunately, her situation's changed a little bit. I'm hoping that it improves. But um, she's mentioned to me that I should come up many times. My answer was always no because I've got four cats. And I don't really want to leave my cats or abandon them, give them to someone else. If Take them with you. Take them with you. Really? Would they live you, on the plane? Yeah, they'll be fine because there's no um, requirements to put them into um, quarantine. You know, like animals used to have to go. If you bring them into New Zealand, they're very strict on animals. I'm pretty certain that you can take the cat straight off the plane and uh, it's maybe getting them back. They might go into feline prison or whatever, but... Um, well, they uh, That's a real yeah. I really have to think about this. Look into that. And well, the other the other thing the other thing that you could do is easily just uh, find someone that you trust to look after them for you. Hmm. Really have there's, to think about that. Yeah. Th this this goes back to 
uh, believing everything is possible. Like put yeah. it out to the universe and just let let the unit, the subconscious, create it. Put it out there, and the, the limiting belief that you can't travel and take your cats with you is immediately dismissed by me just telling you that, right? The limiting beliefs, is, guys. Let's be really mindful of what we keep saying, like me. Um, Laban, what tip do you have for someone who, just like myself, is really trying to become conscious of what they say so that we can co-create? Is there any tagline, quote, anything we can put on the bloody wall? Jack Canfield on that interview spoke about the negative self-talk jar. We've got a mastermind group that I mentioned earlier. It's $10,000 for six months to join. And the first rule is no negative self-talk. It's $10. It's $10 US. And guess what? No one uses negative self-talk because no matter how much money these people have got, they don't want to give away 10 bucks for for negative self-talk. So if you need to create a swear jar for negative self-talk, put it in there and make it an amount. Make it five bucks or 10 bucks. Make it an amount that's going to sting, right? And have some accountability to it. And it'll only take a month. And then then you'll have the habit. And you won't say it. And then you'll start realizing all the friends and family in your life that are really negative. Yeah. And then you, then you can either lead by example and then phase out the people that aren't taking the hint or the conversation and then surround yourself with people that do. Okay, awesome. I'll implement that and I'll ask you a question later on as well. And um, what does your morning routine look like these days? So this, where we live is legitimate paradise, right? <laughs> we, um, we live in Playa del Carmen in Mexico. For anyone that's traveled there, it's not far from Tulum for all you uh, for you hippies and uh the sun comes up it comes through the window and we sleep with the windows open because it doesn't get below 25 centigrade over here really except in winter and uh and i just get up whenever i wake up usually around about 5 5 30 a.m make myself my uh french press coffee and usually do some of my work um you know admin stuff releasing podcasts uh, making fo- phone calls back to Australia because it's getting sort of late in the evening over there, um, that kind of thing. And I've just gotten back into running again. I've just invested in another top-of-the-range uh, smartwatch mm-hmm. by Garmin called the Garmin Epix 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a six-kilometre six loop around this part of Plato Carmen that I live that's uh, perfect. And because it's so humid, you get a massive sweat on, and it's amazing, yeah. What time do you sleep usually at night? My, I sleep so good. I sleep really good. I probably fall asleep around about 9.30, 9.45, maybe earlier sometimes. And I have been having a few wee siestas recently because the heat's uh, kicking my backside after coming back from the dry of Nevada. Yeah, right. So you sleep early and you wake up early. That's your routine. Yeah, there's something about getting the morning sun. It, there's something really spiritual about it. We're just near the beach as well. So sometimes I go down to the beach and watch the sun come up and sort of look into the sun as it's coming up. I'm um, trying all sorts of things, sunning my genitals as well because we, we've got this private space. So you, I, I don't sleep with any clothes on anyway because it's so hot. But um, when the sun comes in, you could, you know, bear your genitals. Yeah. Huh? I said, of course, that'll wake you up. <laughs> well, there's, there's, a, there's some science coming out suggesting it's, it's a really great way to generate uh, testosterone in men. And, and I don't know necessarily what it does for women, but, you know, testosterone levels globally have been plunging. A lot of that's to do with uh, estrogenic, um, a lot of soy and a lot of that bullshit that goes in the food and all the microplastics oh, and all the other stuff. Um, so you want to regain as much of your, your natural balance of testosterone as a man as well. That'll make you... That'll make you step into your greatness as well a bit more. 
Absolutely. Um, do you, some of my final questions, do you have a vision board by any chance? I don't have a vision board per se. I, I have written down my very clear plan for the future and I've just started working with a guy uh, this guy John Mitchell who's a wealth creation expert out of Texas who I went and stayed with for a little bit he took a business from 250000 a year to $5 million net and then sold his business for crazy amounts of money and, and he follows the principles of Think and Grow Rich which is a magnificent book for those who haven't heard of it it's the best book on, on self-development that you can get by a factor of 10 and, and so I'm, a, I'm creating this document, which is going to be the explicit detail because the, 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 my vision has evolved a lot as I've become more and more awakened to possibility. You know, what, what, was, what was here at one point is just an afterthought now, and it's like creation. Um, how, how, do you, how did you become awakened to possibility? It's all the people that you met, correct? And... <sighs> Look, I, yeah, it, it's just been, it's been, I don't know exactly what it was, but it started with getting some understanding, understanding why I used to exhibit the behaviours that I did and learning how to reverse engineer and then solve them. I didn't do 12-step for any of, the, any of the alcohol. It's been more, nearly six years since I touched a single drop. It's been longer for gambling, longer for drugs but I don't have any desire to do it. So I'm not missing out. I don't feel like there's a craving for it. Okay, awesome. Um, what, are some tip, what is your last tip today you have, um, Laban, for anybody who wants to change their mindset, who wants to start co-creating, who's having difficulties with negative self-belief systems popping up and negative self-talk? What is your number one tip that you can give this person today? So, well, scientifically, we, we become and we earn within a few thousand dollars of the five people we spend the most time around. Mm. Have a look at your circle of influence. And, mm-hmm. and, and if that is not conducive to a successful life, find one that is. And be prepared to walk away from friendships, right? And I use that in inverted commas for those who are just listening, that, that don't serve you well. If they are true friends, they'll support you in your decision. But... Just make the, make the tough decisions. Nothing ever good in life comes without some kind of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so select your friends and circles wisely, and that's your number one tip for today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, um, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. We're going to connect again in, a, I don't know, when you're free in the next four, five, six months. That would be awesome to touch base. Would love and to, we're yeah. we're going to drop all his details, podcast, YouTube, book in the comments and his missus and her podcast that she's got about trauma healing and we're also going to put Dr. Tasha's details in the comments for anybody dealing with trauma that would be amazing <laughs> and uh, okay. for those who, for those who want the book it's available in my dulcet tones on audible uh, as well as the paperback and the, the kindle copy it's a pretty short read it's about a four hour listen and if it's not like the best that. book you've read in the last 12 months I'll bear my bum on Queen Street Awesome. Well, we look forward to him bearing his bum in Queensbrook. We appreciate that. Happens. The guys get it, get the book, and give us your review. Cheers. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye.